You're listening to the Local Open Mic Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Heath. And today we talk with Barry Leaf, or Baz to his friends. Barry has a long and storied career as one of Australia's most recognizable musical voices. Baz started his career in the late 60s with a couple of number one hits on the New Zealand charts before moving to Australia and joining the progressive hard rock band Bakery in 1972. His talents, though, were never exported commercially to the world like his contemporaries. Baz was under an internationally binding contract during those years. So when Frank Zappa came calling, asking him to join his band, the opportunity had to be passed. Barry continued a string of musical successes, though, in the 80s, with the highly regarded band Supermarket. Leaf's most recent release, entitled Rhythmized, is a fresh interpretation of 70s-era music. It's full of blues, soul, and pop music, and we get to listen to four of the tracks today as he explains the backstory to each. Local Open Mic can be found on many social media sites like MeWe, Facebook, and Instagram. And for all the latest shows and information, bookmark localopenmic.com in your browser. Our podcast is available on Anchor and Spotify, as well as other streaming sites, so be sure to subscribe to the show so you won't miss any of our exclusive and personal interviews with musicians, songwriters, producers, and anyone else we think is important for you to know about. Well, we have with us today Barry Leaf. Uh, you go by Baz. How are you doing, Barry? I'm great, Tim. Nice to meet you, mate. Nice to meet you. <laughs> Uh, so let me just explain to the fans that um, when you got on my radar, it was with Hindley Street Country Club. We did the Hall of Notes um, "Kiss on My Lips." Oh yeah, we, the, yeah. That was that was an absolutely amazing uh, version of it. And you know, I looked at you. I said, "I wish I had this guy's pipes." You know. <laughs> Uh, just a, absolutely an amazing uh, version of it. And from then I started following you. And yeah. since I uh, have the local open mic podcast, I said, I got to get this guy on. And so it's mm. been uh, playing tag a little bit because you're a busy guy, but I'm glad well, we're here. Yeah, we made it. And uh, yeah, I had a pretty busy, well, this is Easter, obviously every, everywhere, yep. but uh, we've, we're well into it now. And um had um, some pretty a big night last night so um yeah so um here we are yeah so tell us uh now you go by baz where did that come from uh always been known as baz um uh, you know the old you know i'm from new zealand so um uh although i live in sydney um and i've always been known as baz or baza uh, as and uh it just came out that, um, you know, we started doing these cooking shows and uh, we started um, a bit of cooking and music uh, when the uh, pandemic hit. And so we were sitting there going, what are we going to do? And I got a couple of great mates that said, why don't you do, you love cooking, why don't you do a cooking and music show? And we'll call it Cooking with Baz, meaning cooking yeah. <laughs> musically and, and food, you yeah, know, so yeah. that's, that's how it got around, you know. Well, uh, you know, I've watched some of the shows as much as I can, and uh, they're fun. Yeah. Um, and I really, I have to say, uh, for your fans that may be listening, if they, if they haven't uh, gone to see the show yet that you put on, 
the music part's really fascinating, the way you, you edit the videos and get everybody in it, and uh, it's quite fascinating. Uh, yeah. There was one occasion, uh, I think you were singing with yourself, yeah. and it... <laughs> I commented this to my wife. I said, look what he's doing. Look. And the other self, only singing the harmony, you turned and looked at your other self. Yeah. It was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. You know, uh, it's sort of a send up to the editing process. And uh, yeah. that was good. I like that. Yeah. So tell me, what's been consuming your time for the last year? Uh, you had... Is it the new project, Rhythmized, came out in this last year? Yeah, um, we released Rhythmized um, the year before. Oh, okay. Uh, and uh, I was just I was just really wanting to record for my family, you know, because uh, although I've been in the studio for years and years doing session work and stuff like that, I, I never really sat down and said, I want to do an album. And, of course, an album costs money. So, sure. you know, most of the time you don't have enough to – to invest in an album but I just decided I had to do it for my kids and my grandkids and um, and so basically I'm, I'm really into just interpreting other people's music other people's songs that's really what I'm into because I, I, I love I love this I love doing other people's songs because I personally sort of feel that I've never written you know a, a world beater you know as yet <laughs> so uh, so I picked some really cool songs and, and I love to do my, just put my stamp on it, you know. And so that's how that came about. And uh, I was so proud of it because um, I managed to get a producer and arranger called Kerry Buchanan, who's a, a fantastic musician um, who lives in New Zealand. And I got him over here to Sydney and, um, and we worked on it together and we just put the songs together and he did all the arrangements. We got some really hot players on the on the album, and I'm just so pleased with it, you know. And I'm still pushing the, the heck out of it because, you know, even though it was two years ago, I, I just think I'd like people to to hear our versions of some great songs, you know. And it's really like an anthology. It's sort of like songs that I love through the years, you know. Well, it's it sounds like most of them uh, really have more of a '70s vibe in how yeah. they produce, whether it's the blues, the soul, or the pop yeah. angle you put on them. Uh, yeah. would, would you say that's true? Yeah, that's true. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I'm stuck in the 70s, mate. Look at me. You know? uh, look at me. I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, five years ago, I had hair going halfway down my back. So, you know, when uh, when the Grim Reaper comes for your hair, he's merciless. And so uh, I'm back to a more of a GQ look that, uh, um, uh, frankly, I think most people like. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I just, I, I just love the '70s. I mean, that was just the best, the best time. Um, you know, it was the, the Doobies, Steely Dan, all of them, Steve, yeah. Steve Winwood, Paul Carrick, all these wonderful people. You know, that all the great songs that were coming out at that time. You know. So tell us more about what you've been doing in the last year. You've been doing your cooking with Baz. Anything else going on that I, you know, pandemic limits some things, but yeah, yeah. Well, in a, a, the pandemic here really shut down our industry, so there was no work. Um, nobody was working. Nobody could go out. Um, they, you know, there was just uh, no no audience. So we had to sort of try and work out what we wanted to do. And I was able to sort of uh, contact, get on 
together was two good mates. One was an editor and one was a, like a, a, an IT guy. And we decided we'd put together the, the Cooking with Baz show, which is on YouTube. You can you know, look up Cooking with Baz, you'll see it. And that's that's all we've really been doing. You know, It's like um, just putting that show together. We're doing it week by week. We've now started a new series that hasn't gone to air yet, but it's more now that we're able to visit and people can come to houses and we can go out more, things are starting to... We've been very lucky in Australia. I know it's been pretty hard and with you guys over in Canada and America, but, you know, now we can now we can go out uh, and we can have guys over. So now the guys come over to my house and we do it live. Oh, okay, so we, good. So that's going to that's gonna make a big difference because it was very difficult, um, you know, getting the guys uh, on their mobile phones and sending them, sending their stuff to me and... And then we had to try and put it together. And of course, I don't, I'm not real keen on singing to a click track. So they didn't really have anything to follow except my rhythm guitar and my vocals. So it was, you know, it was, it was pretty, pretty difficult. Uh, but, you know, we got through it. And, and then on our Christmas show, we did manage to get the guys up and we did it all live. So there's a lot more interaction between the players. We had a lot of fun with each other. And it's just so much better. And, you know, the, the viewing audience that showed with the amount of people that were watching the Christmas show meant that we got it. That's how we had to do it. So that, that's what we're doing. Doing it live. Well, you're getting a lot done when most people aren't. How is the cooking show going? Are you getting a lot of traction with that? Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, like I say, now that with the, the new series starting, which will probably start in about two weeks, we've already done two series uh, uh like two shows and got another show coming up where we're going to record in a couple of weeks so we got a, a bit in the in the in behind us so you know we'll start that'll come out in a couple of weeks yeah so and then we'll start that series and we'll do it every two weeks we found that every week was starting to get pretty hard you know oh it can it can be a grind can't it yeah. yeah it just became just too much you know and i was i was doing everything in my kitchen you know and, Trying to <laughs> trying to get the lighting right and sounds and stuff, which is pretty tough work, you know. Well done. Yeah, thank you. What else has been consuming your time? I mean, you've I think you've done some shows recently, haven't you? Or yeah, yeah, yeah we've done. We're starting to open up a bit more now, so people, you know, the restrictions on numbers and, and venues is, is uh, getting better. So now we now we can put shows on again. Um, so we just started to do the odd one here and there. I've got this, um, I don't know if I, we discussed this, but I have a listen to the music show and it's basically 70s. And we just do, you know, most of the hits of the 70s, you know, Doobie Brothers, Steely Dan, America, all sorts of, you know, all those people from, you know, back in that time. That's a live show? It's a live show, yeah, yeah. I saw one video online and uh, your daughter sings with you, doesn't she? Yeah. Yeah. Does she travel with you now everywhere you go to sing? No. Um, she works uh, on her own and does, does her own shows. Um, and she's working with uh, some people at the moment that are on tour. Um, she's a really fantastic uh, backing singer as well. Oh, she's, yeah. got a, she's got a, really, a real knack for harmonies and, and tone. And, uh, yeah, she's really quite clever girl. Uh, so she's on the road. But, no, I only used to... Uh, I used her on the album, and we've we've done a couple of things together, but not that not that much, you know. So that show sort of is really, um, you know, just uh, uh, you know, five piece band, 
and myself and we just uh, get on the road and uh, do a couple of shows here and there so at the moment um, you know there's it's only just starting to come back into um, you know where there's work available because up until well the start of this year there was really nothing going on well, no work. yeah yep so I'll tell you what before we start notching back in your history which uh, you know I've gotten glimmers of how fascinating it's going to be uh, tell us the backstory to why you chose Baby Come Back, and we'll play that in a few moments. Oh, cool. Yeah. I just I just really loved that song right from the start when I first heard it. And just <laughs> to go backwards, um, I probably had the longest residency in Sydney at one stage. Uh, we were working at a place called the Musicians Club. And I'd have to say that that song was probably the most popular song we ever played. Uh, so I had to put it on the album. Um, and I got, Kerry came up with this idea of doing the chorus with uh, a cappella uh, before the song starts. And I just think it really works well. Just a great song. And and the guitar work on that is Peter Northcott, and he's a fabulous guitar player. He does a beautiful solo at the end. Just, um, yeah, really happy with it. Well, I'll tell you, it's a great version of it. I think the way you interpret some of these... Uh songs from the 70s now are all the songs on rhythmized from the 70s uh pretty well um oh there's a couple there that are a bit older than that but uh i was a, i'm a big fan I'm a, big, I'm a huge fan of bj thomas oh um, yeah yeah you know and so, uh so am i i uh i don't know bj personally but uh yeah, uh, yeah he's been yeah. on my radar since the 70s also yeah um I some, that's, what do we Rock and Roll Lullaby, I think that came out in the 60s. So it's sort of 60s, 70s, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So why don't we uh, play Baby Come Back so the fans can hear what you're doing. And we'll, right after that, we'll be back with more. Here is Baby Come Back. Baby Come Back. Any kind of fool could see There was something in everything about you Baby, come back. You can blame it all on me. I was wrong, and I just can't live.
Smooth pop sounds of Baz. <laughs> Wonderful song. Good interpretation of it, too. You stayed pretty true to the original on that one, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't We didn't want to sort of, uh, I don't know, uh, it's such a good song and the structure's so good and, you know, we didn't want to change around too much. We just want to give it a little bit of a lift. Um, you know, just a yeah, new interpretation. Yeah, I think I think uh, on just hearing that uh, you're going to have people that are listening that while they're listening they're going to go over to a browser and start looking you up and starting to follow yeah. you. That that was just an amazing uh, version of that. So uh, we're hoping that'll also happen for you. That'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, okay, so let's notch back a little bit beyond uh, the pandemic year and uh, what was life like pre-pandemic for you that you know, maybe even led up to you making the decision to do Rhythmized. And, you yeah. know, um, we all had a life that we can say now is pre-pandemic. Yeah. I've had such a great uh, musical life. 
not having to do anything I didn't want to do, um, the songs I used to sing or the songs I do sing, um, everything that, that I've done over the years has been something I wanted to do. And thankfully, um, you know, most people have enjoyed it. Well, a lot of people have enjoyed it. Um, so, yeah, I've just been thankful, you know, that I've uh, got an audience um, who's, who love all that sort of stuff that sort of era of music who follow me around, which is, you know, fantastic. Just very grateful. Okay, so I'll tell you what. It sounds like maybe what we ought to do is start going back into your past that helped shape mm. you to who you are today. Cool, man. Yeah, well, um, I, 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 I hope the listeners, uh, uh, you know, don't mind me going back to the point of uh, I was brought up in a little town in New Zealand called Blenheim. And uh, it's in the South Island of New Zealand. And I started playing ukulele when I was about nine. <laughs> and uh, was very fortunate to have a music teacher that took me, you know, really took um, me by, by the hand and said, hey, I want to help you with this. Let's put a band together at the school. So we used to play at school concerts. Um, and we even recorded stuff way back then. You know, we're doing, you know, rock and roll songs like um, Susie Darlin and uh, Hang Down Your Head, Tom Dooley. Yeah, okay. and, you know, <laughs> all real, that stuff. Real edgy so that, stuff. <laughs> no, no. So that was, that was, that was, oh, I just, you know, I fell in love with wanting to play and, and just, you know, music. And it was, I've got a lovely little story I should tell you. Um, when I was, yeah, about nine, um, I knew my mother was going to buy me a ukulele. So my mum always bought things early and then hid them in places. So, so if it was like Christmas, she'd, she'd buy them and she'd buy something in October and then hide it somewhere. But I could find, and if they'd go out, I'd go hunting and see if I could find where she's hidden it. So there it was on top of the wardrobe hidden. So I'd have to undo the packaging and everything. Um, while they weren't there and then sort of take the uke out and start practicing and learning things on it and doing all that. And when I'd, when I'd learned a bit, I'd put it all back together again and do the paper up again and then put it back, you know. So when Christmas came uh, and I was given the ukulele, I unwrapped it and all excited, you know, pulled it out and just started playing it. And they all went, oh, my God, <laughs> this kid's talented. <laughs> You're a gifted. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so that was pretty funny. Um, so, you know, I just looked really lucky at school, um, got to play, started really early playing with and meeting up with guys that wanted to play. I mean, silly, silly instruments, you know, like T-chest based, you know, T-chest based, uh, which is a plank of wood on a, on a box and a string on it. Um, and an old snare drum, you know, uh, in a marching band sort of type snare drum, all that sort of stuff. So we just started off doing that. And I guess you'd call us sort of like a skiffle band, you know, lots of ukuleles, lots of people singing. And uh, and we, you know, went in. My little town was a very active little town that put on lots of um, shows and things because raising money for all sorts of causes. So there was talent quests all the time and lots of uh, shows going on in the town hall and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So it came from a really wonderful background that promoted music and entertainment. Um, so it was sort of it. It, it. When I got to high school, it was sort of like, you know, I'd go to a um, to a, a, a teacher's meeting where you, they are trying to work out what you're going to be when you grow up, you know. And, 
and they'd say, well, Barry, what do you want to, what do you want to do when you leave school? And I said, oh, I'm just going to be a musician. And they went, oh, no, 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 that's not, that's not work. That's a hobby. (laughs) 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 So, uh, but no, I was really, I was really, I, I knew what I wanted to do. And so when I left school, I started up a band, a serious band called, um, uh, Beats Incorporated, um, which is a bit based on the Beatles. Uh, and we used to do Beatle, Beatle covers and we do the local dances and all that. And then I moved from Blenheim to Wellington, which is a, the capital of New Zealand. And within a couple of years, we had a band. I met up some, with some guys in Wellington and we put a band together. And the name of the band was A Simple Image. And we recorded uh, some songs and... Funnily enough, the first song we recorded hit the charts and we went to about number nine on the New Zealand Hit Parade. So we went, oh, this is good, you know. And then we recorded a, a song called Spinning, 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 and that went to number one. Wow. And, wow. and so we were, you know, we were on the road from then on and we toured New Zealand up and down the, the country for about three or four years. And then um, I decided I wanted to go to Australia because there was probably more you know, more, more um, situations that would suit us. So moved to Sydney uh, and that was in 69. And it was when most of the American GIs, etc., were coming into Sydney on an R&R from Vietnam. So that was like soul heaven to me because I was really into soul music by then, you know, sort of Wilson Pickett and Otis Reading and the Four Tops and, all that sort of stuff, and we had a residency in a in a, a club called Whiskey A Go Go, which um, is a popular name for clubs. <laughs> and we were there, we were we were there for about three years, uh, and that's really we were doing six nights a week uh, from eight thirty till three in the morning, and that's where I really I learned how to sing because we were just so we were working so hard all the time, and you you know just learned how to how not to blow your voice out learned how to you know breathe properly um and learned lots of songs and learned a hell of a lot about the genres of 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 you know those sort of times uh so that was a real learning process and that and that you know that sort of like sydney became uh where i wanted to be uh i did go to the states and when, when was it um I think it was um, 79. I went to the States in 1979 and just stayed there for 12 months, um, just going out to see bands and and people in LA. And then I spent a month in New York and that was a great experience. But I realized I didn't really want to move there. I, I was a bit too, a bit too big and people in too much of a hurry. So I wanted to come home. So I came home and you know, that was it. So, yeah. so yeah. okay. So we're into the early seventies then, with you spending time in Sydney and the uh, the yeah. boys that were in the the war coming over for R and R. Yeah, well, that was fabulous because um, you know when just to sort of digress a little in New Zealand, it was a very pop orientated industry. But when we came to Sydney, and with all the American GIs coming in, um, we were able to do songs that normally you know, we wouldn't 
get much of an audience for. So, you, you know, if you're doing Stevie Wonder and, um, and all these wonderful soul artist stuff, um, that was like, we just loved it. That's what we wanted to do. And that's how we learned a lot about, about arrangement and songs and styles and you know, approaches to tunes, all that. Now, so that you, was really wonderful. Did you try and do the songs back then exactly like the original artist? Did you find that was better received uh, than you interpreting them a little bit different? Um, yeah, I think you, it's a good question. I think we did try to do them as, as best we could because... You know, uh, someone like Otis Reading has got such a distinctive voice and such a powerful singer. We didn't really try to do that, but didn't want to sort of tame it down too much because that's what they wanted to hear. They wanted to hear that intensity, you know. So right. we did we did rock, uh, but, you know, did, I don't think we could be accused of trying to sound like some of these artists, we, but we loved the tunes, you know. Just funky Broadway and... Um, all that sort of stuff, you know. Oh yeah, we're into the the early seventies. Uh, what else went on during during the seventies for you? Well, uh, that's when I started doing um, session work, like singing jingles and that sort of stuff. Um, I was, you know, basically did a lot of residencies, not so much touring because we didn't really have anything to promote, so we weren't really touring. We were doing a lot of residencies um, in clubs. Um, which we preferred because it was just so much fun and a regular wage. Um, so uh, as well as all that, I was doing jingles during the day. You, know, you might get called in to do a, a, you know, a, a jingle for anything like a soap powder, uh, even cigarettes at the time, um, all that sort of thing. And that was really good because um, that meant you could – earn quite a bit of money uh, and that sort of set me up as a person that could um, get into buying real estate and stuff like that. You know? So you must have done that a lot to be able to suddenly be, uh, I mean, to be able to start buying homes and things. A lot of musicians yeah. can't say that even in the 70s that they were able to, to earn a living uh, of any consequence. Yeah, yeah, we're very lucky in that way. Um, so that just sort of, that's really what what I was doing for quite a long time. Um, and then I ended up with uh, a band and we were in a residency for about five years at the Musicians Club. And that was a hoot. Um, around about that time is when I went to the States because we were earning quite a bit of money. So, you know, you had to spend it on something. <laughs> so over, over I went. Um, and then from then on, just sort of working, you know, lots of clubs and just playing with my favorite musicians. Um, I got the fishing bug for quite a while and I used to sort of, um, I used to, I bought a boat uh, and it was a really good ocean going, not huge boat, but uh, a really good ocean boat. And I'd go out uh, and stay out overnight and I'd probably do two days fishing and then I'd do three days sessioning and then I'd do a couple of nights or, or two or three nights over the weekend doing live gigs. So it was a pretty good life. Yeah, it sounds like it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, and just, just continued on doing that for quite a long time. Um, I've been married three times. And um, I'm madly in love with, in my current marriage. 
um, to Susie. <laughs> He's a gorgeous lady, and we've been together for about 16 years. So um, I'm very happy in that way. Um, happy life, happy wife, beautiful. That's what they say, and uh, I guess I can't argue with that. <laughs> um, there's a few things on the way. I mean, I I was very fortunate. I went on the road with Frank Zappa. I met Frank uh, in 73. It was a pretty weird thing. Um, I was working in a, in a band and a club called Checkers uh, and a band called Bakery. And we were playing, we were actually playing um, a couple of Zappa songs. I think Road Ladies was one. And um, I looked out in the audience and I thought, that guy, it can't be. That looks like Frank Zappa sitting in there. And, uh, and I was sort of checking it out going, that's, that's weird, man. And anyway, we came off stage and this guy came around to the back and said, oh, Frank Zappa's out there. He wants to talk to you. And, you know, I just about fell off my seat, you know. Um, so I went out and I sat down. And it was Frank and we had a, a great chat. And um, then I met him the next day and he asked me would I go on the road with him because he was pretty interested in maybe me joining the band. So... Um, and that was uh, an amazing band. That was the band that he came out uh, with the album uh, Overnight Sensation uh -huh. with Jean Luc Ponty and um, Ralph Humphreys on drums, the Fowler Brothers, um, George Duke, would you believe, on keyboards. Um, it was a fantastic band. I, wow, it was a real. That was a real honour. Wow, to be you know to go on the road with them, and I just, I went on the road. And we were, I was sort of learning some of the songs off the album. Uh, and he was, you know, pretty keen on me joining. Um, I had a few problems with it, though, because I was signed to Festival Records in Sydney. And it was a fairly, uh, what it, I think it's called a 5A recording contract, which is international. And uh, I told Frank about it. And he said, I'll send it over and we'll have a look at it. And invariably, a couple of weeks later, I got a telegram, a telegram saying, due to my contract, he's unable to bring me into the country. So, uh, so that was the end of that. But it was a hell of an experience, and it sort of gave me a bit, a bit of a profile because you know people, people thought it was big news, you know. So, it gave me a good profile. So then I ran a club for five years on that on the strength of that. So, that worked quite well. In a lot of the work you've done, you've met a number of people and groups that are fairly well known, also, haven't you? Yeah, I worked with um, Skunk Baxter, which was a hoot. Um, and there's a guy actually that I came out to Canada and worked with at a place called the Blue Note in Toronto, and uh, a fabulous sax player called Earl Seymour. Uh, and he was in a band in Canada called The Arrows. Uh, he also worked with the latter part of Blood, Sweat and Tears. And he, I met him uh, in the 70s when he used to come out and he, he was um, working, playing sax on with uh, quite a few artists that would come out from Canada. Uh, and El became a really close friend and unfortunately died a few years ago. Um, but yeah, he was a magic guy, um, wonderful player. Yeah, so yeah, I met, met and played with quite a few people. Um, worked with CB Wonders drummer, um, 
uh, what's his name, Davis. Um, forget his first name. Um, yeah, some really good players. Why don't we talk about for a moment uh, the next song, Can't Find yeah. My Way Home. Tell me about yeah. that. Okay, well, the reason for putting that on is um, it was once again, it was another song that I love singing. And, of course, it was recorded by one of my favorite singers, uh, Steve Winwood. And we used to do that live. It, it was very popular. And uh, so I just always, always wanted to record it. And that's how that came out. So let's get right to that. That is called Can't Find My Way Home. Come down off your throne and leave your body alone. 
Very good song. Love it. Yeah, good, good version song. of it too. Yeah, thank you. Let's see, yeah, when man. did he come out with that? Was that in the um that was from six... Blind Faith, wasn't it? Originally. Yeah, that'd, okay, that'd be so that was earlier. Yeah, sixty nine, I think. Yeah, okay. Way earlier. But yeah, Blind yeah. Faith did that and he uh I think he originally did a an acoustic cover of it. Uh yeah. so I recall. Mm. But uh I like your version. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. just for those people that know um we we had to drop it down to c it was originally called recorded in d but that was you know steve winwood's voice is so amazing his, his range oh yeah yeah i couldn't i couldn't cut it in d but we but i like this i like the feel and the sound of it in c you know so yeah yeah well i'm a natural tenor so you know some of those notes uh at least at one time i could have hit <laughs> <laughs> yeah. what is it about american singers that from the 70s they all sang in such high keys you know like you know so amazing i, do, I just don't know whether it's a northern hemisphere or what but you know you know oh you know boston and um and all those bands yeah. that singers all had amazing voices you know i mean some of them, some of them sort of lost their voices i think in the end but gee they were singing in high keys yeah you know? the uh, original singer of journey uh, steve perry lost his voice for a while yeah uh, that's right and he really had a high voice yeah. uh the singer for boston uh brad delp uh, uh he was he was a high tenor but what made him uh so good was how he could effortlessly slide into his falsetto when yeah. he had to yeah. So, yeah. uh, yeah, pretty amazing. And, um, uh, yeah, there were, there were other guys, uh, back in the day, uh, Peter Frampton sang in, yeah. in a higher register. Uh, we had examples of people singing, uh, high, uh, from, uh, the Bee Gees, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah <laughs> but yeah. they were always a falsetto kind of a band, right? Yeah. Um, when they sang in their natural voices, uh, th they ran the gamut. They were a little bit lower generally. Um, yeah. I think uh, Maurice and Robin, I think, had a a higher, a uh, little bit higher register than than Barry, but yeah. uh, Barry yeah. always had that classic, you know, falsetto. Yeah. Everybody back then wanted to imitate. So, yeah. did you have you done any Bee Gees music? Also, did you cover them in any of your bands? We, yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah, way back in the day. Yeah, yeah. I think everybody did at least one or two Bee Gees songs. So. <laughs> It's required <laughs> now you know they're finding a lot of popularity now with uh, buskers singing some of their songs on the street so um uh, yeah. you know that's kind of a probably a sidebar discussion not for the uh the podcast yeah. but anyway so uh let's get back to some of your career you did music for commercials and jingles yeah. and so tell us about that that whole time that was a really good time um you know when in Australia, we were doing a lot of rehashed um, advertisements that we'd get from the States, you know, like Coca-Cola and various other things. And, you know, uh, and we and so there was a lot of work for us because uh, they couldn't use the original ads from the States. So we had to redo we had to redo them here in, in Australia to put them out on the, in the market here. So there was a bit of a something going on there. Copyrights, all sorts of stuff was going on. So there was a lot of work for us. And a lot of the ads were already, you know, written and we just, you know, you'd walk in there and you'd listen to it a couple of times and then you'd go in the studio and, by the, you know, within about an hour you'd have it down, you know. So it was really 
well-paid um, jobs for not much time. You know, you'd be in the studio for about an hour and you're out of there. So you could probably do two or three sessions a day if you wanted to, or if people wanted to use you. Uh, and of course, I, you know, the same thing with, with um, records. If you're doing ads and you're doing popular big ads, then you get a name for it and then you start getting more work. And so I was getting quite a bit of work out of all that. But I was also doing a lot of, um, I did a lot of touring around the world with, um, in song festivals, oh, where I'd okay. get asked, which was good. Um, I'd get asked to uh, present an original, someone would write a song and then they'd put it into a songwriting contest. And if they got asked to, to go there, then they would ask me to go with them and I'd present it live in, in concert form. Uh, that was real fun. You know, you've got to go to some pretty strange places, like, especially like Czechoslovakia when it was communism. Wow. Um, you know, Prague, went to Prague. Um, you know, went to a lot of places. Chile, went there once for a song festival. Um, all up through the east, you know, Philippines. Um, yeah, it was fun. Bangkok, we did one there. Well, you know, <laughs> the, the Philippines is just, everybody there I think is born with a instrument in their hand. It's yeah, quite a musical country. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I've, I, I've met a few Filipino bands, and and they're, they're amazing copyists. I've, I've, you know, back in the old days, there was a band came out from the Philippines, and they were doing all blood, sweat, and tears and Chicago stuff. And honestly, you could hardly tell the difference. Tell me, uh, what were some of the bigger commercials that you sang in that played a lot and gave you some recognition? Uh, probably the biggest one was um, a McDonald's ad, which was um, um, uh, based on Mac the Knife, which was a guy called Mac Tonight. He was a guy that sat on a moon, being, on a moon, and and had a pretty weird sort of face, and you know, blah 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 blah. That was a pretty big ad, um, and yeah, and I got a lot of work out of that. Um, I did a, a a series of ads for a TV station here called Channel 9. And, of course, that ran for years because uh, there'd be uh, different personnel coming in and out of the of the TV shows and stuff. And so I'd have to go in and do some more ads because there was a name change, you know. So that ran for ages. Um, yeah, quite a lot of stuff. Um, beer ads. I did a beer ad that was quite quite big. <laughs> Did you ever appear in the any of these ads? No. No, no. they just wanted your voice. Uh, well, yeah, you know, voice. what yeah. are you going to do? I know. I'll take the money, thanks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what were you doing during the 80s? Well, that's a good question. I ended up ended up with a band called Supermarket, which was a 14-piece band and put it together with a couple of mates, one particular guy his name was Michael Kenny who was an amazing arranger and it was it was one of those things where there was not a lot going on in the in round musical circles at that time in the 80s because the 80s went a bit sort of weird um, I didn't really like a lot of this a lot of the stuff it was searching for something it was if it wasn't punk it was sort of glam rock or something it just wasn't my bag at all and and we just put together this band based on so we could do really great versions of, of um, you know, like uh, Quincy Jones stuff, um, 
uh, Al Jarreau um, uh, and all the great singers from that period. Because LA and New York were sort of, do you remember the session days, you know, where all these amazing uh, people like Larry Carlton and yep. uh, all these amazing players uh, all doing fusion sort of type stuff. A lot of jazz uh, fusion going on, yep. yeah. Steely Dan. Oh, and yeah, and that's where we went. We went down that road. And, you know, a 14-piece band, you know, you'd say to yourself, it's never going to work. You know, we That's can't. kind of top-heavy as far as the money goes. <laughs> and uh, we just said, oh, bugger it. Well, you know, so we, we managed to get a couple of nights at a club called The Basement, which is uh, quite a uh, well-known venue or was a well-known venue in Sydney back in those days, sort of the sister to um, – that club in London, what's oh, I forget what it's called. Um, I forget the guy's name. Um, Jazz Club in London. Um, it's sort of a sister to that. So anyway, we did two, did two gigs and the gig went so well that we ended up being a regular band in that club for at least four years, you know, off and on. Wow. And, nice. and during, that, during that time, there was a lot of money being spent on – uh, motivational get-togethers of major companies. You know, people would fly to, you know, some island in the Pacific, you know, and spend thousands of dollars uh, and, you know, looking after their employees because there's a lot of money around at that, during the 80s. Uh, and so we got on a, on that sort of wagon for a while and we were flown to different places all around the country uh, here and then even uh, doing corporate things you know, as far away as Bangkok or, or somewhere else, you know. So that was a pretty amazing time. I really enjoyed that time. We did we we did some great stuff, you know, some great, great songs and the arrangements were amazing. So it just strikes me, this is Supermarket was the second band that you had that was food related. You had Bakery and then Supermarket. Yeah. Um, that's not <laughs> lost on me, the elegance of that uh uh, yeah, <laughs> the synergy there, uh, building on a, and you have a cooking show. I like that. Yeah, no, yeah, uh, yeah. we have a tie-in now. You should leverage that somehow, from bakery to supermarket to cooking. That's it. Okay, let's get to cab driver. Uh, look, always been a fan of Hall and Oates right from the start. Uh, amazing songs, uh, incredible volume of work those guys, and of course I. I guess I'd have to admit that we're sort of we're very influenced by Daryl's house. Oh yeah, yeah. And that sort of really inspired us to look at Baz, uh, the Baz cooking with Baz show. It's sort of like, you know, play live um, now that we can, and uh, and a little bit of cooking, not so much sort of evening meals anymore. We're just doing sort of like food so everyone can join in. And like when we play the tunes and the guys can walk around in the kitchen and, and enjoy the sort of a, you know, just snacky food. And it seems to, I think that's going to work better. So um, all that, but getting back to what you were saying about uh, Daryl Hall, uh, cab driver, basically just one day a, um, a recording guy that I um, did, used to do sessions with suggested that we put it in our show because in our West Coast rock show. And uh, I, I hadn't heard it before. And when I heard it, I went, wow, I love it. Um, and so we started putting it in the show. So I started to really enjoy doing it. And I thought, oh, I've, I've got to record this. And um, 
Kerry, the producer, put a lovely um, stamp on it with his arrangement, and I really enjoy the arrangement. Uh, and we actually got a. Uh, I, I ended up um, getting in touch with the piano player on Daryl's house, and he sent me back a message that he he loved the arrangement. He thought it was great. So oh, wonderful! That was, that was really cool. Yeah. So, do you know any of those guys in Daryl's house, or um, just you know no. from what their body of work? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, that's quite a compliment for them to, uh, yeah. you know, send back well, he, to like your arrangement. Yeah, well, he actually how I got onto him was because he he made a comment about Kiss on My List, and said that he'd heard it, and he sent a message to Hindley Street saying he thought it was a great version. So that's how I so I took. The, I took got the took the opportunity to get in touch with him uh, and send him cab driver. Oh, okay. So, so I sent it to him, and he and he came back and said he loves it. So that was cool. Without any further delay, let's listen to cab driver.
to hate about that song <laughs> so uh, all these songs so far that we've played they're all off of rhythmizer or rhythmized yeah 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 okay good good and we'll make yeah. sure everybody uh, sees that so I think we're yeah. kind of at the the 90s and up now so yeah uh, what consumed your your life through the last 10 years of the last decade. Ooh. Um, sounds ominous, doesn't it? Eh? It sounds <laughs> ominous. <laughs> it shouldn't be. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Just same, really just working, um, uh, the to, I guess that's really the nineties was more when we were doing quite a bit of work with, our um, West coast rock show. Um, we were quite uh, quite busy with that show, um, and yeah, putting together little bit. Probably '90s was more of a time of you know putting out little little cameos of uh, shows, different names, and you know with maybe a different approach. You know, um, I did a show for a while called My Songbook, which was basically uh, my life. You know, um, all the songs that I'd you know dating back to the first songs I ever did, you know, um, and just through the decades um, and just worked pretty busy with that. Um, working out marriages was a bit big part of the time as well. Uh, which one was going to be coming <laughs> and going. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I can't really say too much more about it. Um, yeah, once again, another decade of fun and music and uh, grateful to be working and uh, persisting on, you know, forcing myself upon the general public and then going, yeah, okay, you know. Uh, how many kids do you have? Uh, all up. I've got eight kids. Okay. And four grandkids. Oh, wonderful. Grandkids are yeah. great. So my little darling Susie, uh, she's got three three uh, adults obviously i got five um and then we've got four grandkids and um poppy and susie are concerned we we have our our twins come over once a week and we just have a ball um then they're, they're now five so they're a, a real fun fun age i got some great kids they're all healthy very fortunate um, besides uh, ashley who else is in the music business is there any of your kids my second wife uh her name is erina clark she was in the supermarket, a really good singer. Uh, her daughter, Jerry Ray, is a singer as well. I've got um, my youngest brother, Peter Leaf, is a singer and plays guitar. And he lives in um, the North Island of New Zealand. 
He's work, he de- still works playing guitar and singing. Have you ever done some collaborations? Uh, you know, from time to time we've sung together, but not really done any work together. We keep in touch, you know, mainly through the internet, you know. Um, sure. And that's about Yeah. Why don't we go into uh, the final song from Rhythmized? It's called Ordinary Man. Why don't you tell us about that real quick? Ah, okay. Ordinary Man, uh, written by uh, a guy called Bangata from Hawaii, who's a very good friend of um, the Doobie Brothers, written years ago, and I always loved it. It was a great song, and then all of a sudden the Doobies brought it out as a cover on one of their albums. I just loved the song, wanted to do it, and once again, Kerry did a beautiful um, arrangement of it. I'm really happy with it. Uh, really great song. Great lyric. Did you know the song before the Doobies came out with it? Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, let's listen to that. It's called Ordinary Man. Forget to pull me in sometimes. Will you be with me as I make my journey through the labyrinth of time? And I'm so waiting for the good Lord to show me the way, baby. This is who you see. This is who I am Please forgive me if I fall sometimes Just an ordinary man Will my reckless courage invite you To become my clever companion Maddie in love Get ready to run, baby This is who you see This is who I am Please forgive me when I fall sometimes I'm just an ordinary man Enjoying to pull me in some 
Ordinary Man. There we go. Wonderful song. Well, Isn't that's uh, that's a wonderful final song to uh, bring to us. Let me ask you a few other questions here that are more uh, more generic in nature that I think uh, your fans uh, and local open mic listeners will want to know. Uh, if there was something you would you could do differently if you went back to a young Baz. Yeah. Um, what advice would you give a young Baz starting out? Would you do anything differently is really the sort of the bend of the, the question. What would you do different if you could? Well, what I, what I didn't do was in the early days, because it was such fun and, uh, you know, with, I didn't really realize that I was involved in an industry that really required good management and marketing. And um, uh, I just didn't realize it was a business. I just thought it was fun, you know, uh, because now, now it is a business and well, it has been a business for a long time, but it's a serious business. And I, I just wish that I'd probably put a bit more effort into that in the earlier days, you know, which would have probably taken me to a lot of areas that I never went to because I was just having too much fun, basically. Um, if that makes any sense. No, it does completely. I, uh, we interviewed, um, uh, in another episode of Local Open Mic, uh, in fact, it's still in post. It's almost out uh, with a gentleman named Corey Pryor. He lives up in the Gold Coast. And mm. he was with a band in the early 90s when they had a couple number one hits in the States. Wow. And he didn't stay with them uh, all that long. I, his run with them was about five years. Uh, then he left that band to start another group. They had some success also, and the one thing that he lamented is that he was all too willing in those young days to sign contracts, which had the effect of, in some cases, almost signing away his career at times. And so I remember what you said about the Frank Zappa episode, that, yeah. that you yeah. had a, a solid contract they were willing to look at. They wanted you that much that they were willing to have their own specialists look at it, uh, realizing that it was probably fairly ironclad and, and you could not get out of it uh, easily unless they decided they would release you. And he, he mentioned on one case that uh, they wanted out of the contract because this label wasn't doing well and they were being, you know, I think eventually it was sold, the new company had the contract. And they wanted out so they could pursue other things. And they said, well, no, you have to buy your way out. And Yeah, I think, I think um, the same thing, you know, like uh, they wouldn't let me out of the contract. And I probably was a little inexperienced uh, in that I probably could have gone down other roads to get out of it. But in a way, I'm sort of, I'm not saddened by the fact that I didn't go to the States with Zappa uh, because it gave me, a, you know, a, a leg up into bit bigger profile so work-wise it was good for me um and i'm sort of i don't know what i would have ended up doing you know if i ended up going to the states and then what maybe do a tour with zappa and then what do i what do i do you know like you know i mean well it, i mean it it's easy it's easy to say that you know question it but let's face it uh, sometimes when it's an industry where 
who you know is important, right? Mm. So, uh, yeah, who's to say? You're right. It may have just been a one, one-time mm. tour thing and, and not much, but uh, you seem like an extremely personable person and engaging mm. that uh, you would have had a lot of contacts from it. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. It, it, worked, it worked out well for me. Yeah. I, I mean, a lot, of, a lot of people thought that I would be devastated for not being able to go, but I wasn't really. Um, you know, I thought, no, that was... Uh, that was a, a really great experience, and uh, and I got a lot out of it. Well, so. that's great perspective for young musicians to understand that sometimes the route they choose is the place they need to be, even mm. when it appears like they might be missing an opportunity elsewhere. Another question: What instruments do you play? Guitar and electric. Uh, I pride myself on being as good as I possibly can be as a rhythm guitarist. I like playing. I love playing rhythms. Um, uh, and it's also good for me because I, you know, I, <laughs> I don't know if it's um, something that might be helpful to others, but if, if a young singer has a, is able to back himself with an instrument, that's a big plus. Yes, it is. It, just, it gives them the opportunity to go out and work anywhere. And um, it also gives them a very strong element to what they what they produce in a band environment, you know. So I'd suggest to any young singer at least learn something or an instrument that can back you up, you know. So um, what effects pedals do you use with your guitars? Nothing. Just straight into the amp. Straight in. Wow. Yeah, yeah that's, in. that's very unusual. A lot of times people want to have, you know, a little yeah. bit of sweetening on their acoustic guitars. Of course, you yeah. have a very nice one, the Takamine. Uh, that yeah. you you play and and I've owned one. I mean, they're totally a quality instrument. The Taylor of their that, day. Yeah, I think James Taylor actually owned a Takamini. Oh, did he? I think so. Uh, yeah, the, your viewers won't. You, you can see this, right? Yeah, I can. I can see your Telecaster for everybody yeah. out there yeah. wishing <laughs> they could see this. It's pretty beat up. I know. Well, this is. Um, I bought this in 1970. It's a 69 Tele. Wow. Yeah. And so, you can see it's had, it's had some hard work. So all the uh, road wear on it is legitimate. It's not a FACO job no, that they put no. out once in a while to show, uh, what do no. they call it? Um, when they, Customized. Yeah, right, yeah. right. Yeah. Well, I have a telly also, but it's, oh, great. it's all black and shiny and then has some really bright silvery things. So I think I got it at a time when I said, oh, look. Bright, shiny stuff. <laughs> Must have. <laughs> but I have a, a Strat and a Tele and, uh, you know. Yeah, I've got a Strat. I, I do have a Strat. Um, but I always come back to the Tele. It's just oh, it's, like, it's just comfortable, you know. It's like when you've played it for so long, you know, it just, I don't know, you just, you know, it's like another limb on your body, you know. Yeah, people don't understand. Uh, you know, when you're a musician, you, you so totally get it that guitars – bring with it a whole different feel where mm. people that don't really play are going to be mm. looking at it and go, Oh, it's just a guitar with a neck and pickups. Why can't he just, no, you want that one. There is, there's subtle differences. And, right. you know, I know people that can be listening to a record and pick out the guitar and the effects and the amps that are used. They're so tuned yeah. in. So that's an amazing guitar, you know, um, if you ever decide to uh, give it away in a raffle, let me know. I'll, I'll buy as many tickets as you're selling. Actually, 
there's quite a few players that are in line for it. You know? yeah. <laughs> of course they are. Of course they are. Got, I mean, my, my Pete, my the guitar player that you've been playing on my album, uh, he, he's got, he's a whiz kid with instruments. Like, you know, he's one of those, one of those sort of guys that um, is, what, what's it? pedantic about sound about tone about all that stuff and uh, as soon as we do gigs you know he'll look across at me and go when i've plugged it into the my um fender amp and i strum it and he goes oh man i'd love to get that sound how can i get that sound <laughs> how can people get in touch with you or see what you have uh if they just go to my website just go to barryleaf.com or barryleaf.com.au okay and there's a lot of stuff on there and you can also if you want to buy a hard copy of the album you can go to that or you or you know I, I've got sort of you know you got a band band camp, camp and yep. that's all up there what's that um, barryleaf.bandcamp.com yep okay uh, you, can get, you can get digital copies of the album and, and some stand- of your stuff is on Spotify too isn't it yeah yep yeah. good yeah, so if they go to my website, they can contact me through the um, there's a contact area in the on the website. You can say hello, and uh, I can get back to them. You know. So thank you, Barry, for being with us, and we're going to let you go and have the fans take advantage of getting in touch with you and listening to your music and purchasing it. Thank you, thank you, Tim. I really appreciate it, and uh, I hope everyone. Uh, jumps on board and grabs rhythm eyes that would be awesome that would be great yeah okay take care barry bye-bye thanks Matt. well i had a great time interviewing barry i hope you had a good time listening to everything he had to say he's a wealth of information and musical knowledge especially for australia you can support barry by going to his website and participating in his social media And if you want a physical version of his products, go to berryleaf.bandcamp.com. For Local Open Mic, I'm your host, Tim Heath. And remember, get on that stage, step up to the mic. The world is listening.